Hey, no, you're not seeing things. I actually had an oh crap moment, or as we say in Spanish, ingasu. I accidentally deleted season one finale's episode. Wah, wah, wah. Anyway, I re-uploaded it, so that's why you're seeing it in here again. So it's not a new episode for those of you that are waiting for season two. It's not up yet. But since you're here, just want to let you know it's coming up on Friday. So excited. So I'll see you then. What if I create a podcast? What if I invite other language professionals to share their stories? What if I ask them to tell their stories and help brand the role of the interpreter? What would that look like? What if? Hey, hi there. This is it, guys. This is the last episode of season one of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. What a year. And even though it hasn't been exactly a full calendar year since I started this journey, still, it's been 10 months and I feel like you've gotten to know me a little more. I feel a little bit more comfortable with the mic. I feel a little bit more comfortable with the screen and feeling like I'm no longer talking to myself, like I'm actually talking to someone else on the other side. Granted, I still don't see any faces or any facial expressions or anything of the sort, but I can feel them, or at least I think I do. Anyway, welcome back. Today's episode will be short. It's a compilation of the highlights that I've put together from the various different guests that were on season one and a little bit of maybe information or insight or thoughts in between. So let's go ahead and dive right on in. For my very first episode on the Brand the Interpreter podcast, I thought that it would be a good idea to invite someone that I was familiar with so that, you know, I felt comfortable with interviewing and I wouldn't sound so awkward. So it wouldn't be like a mixture of me feeling weird with a microphone and all the different equipment that I had to bring with me. And it was pre-COVID, uh, so I was visiting people, or at least that was the intention of visiting people in their homes uh, or in an office so that I could interview them. Uh, and being that it was pre-COVID and Leslie was my very first scheduled guest, and of course, I also invited her not just for my personal reasons, but obviously because you know she's a trained interpreter and has vast experience in the education field. Anyway, I show up to her house, I'm running late, I'm fumbling with my equipment, I set up, you know, you hear this nervousness in my high-pitched tone in the interview and my inability to, you know, finish a sentence or finish a question because I'm going round and round. Anyway, my plan failed. I didn't feel any more comfortable um, interviewing uh, someone that I knew as my very first guest, but hopefully the interviews got better as, um, you know, I got a little bit more practice in. <laughs> anyway, this first clip is her sharing her experience walking into an IEP, which remember stands for an Individualized Education Planner Program, depending where you're at, 
and realizing, oh crap, I'm totally not prepared for this. Check it out. And I really thought that I had the language skills necessary to to do that job. And I thought it was going to be easy. And then bam, you know, I went into my first IB and I didn't even know what to do. This next clip is from Tatiana Sestari, the Director of Language Service Advocacy at Cloudbreak Health um, and Marty. And she shares the importance of not just showing up with something to complain about, but offer a solution to the problem that you're highlighting. And I thought this was so important because it not only applies in the areas in which we work, the organizations, for example, that we work for, but they also apply for ourselves. So if we're thinking about a problem and we're only dwelling on the problem, we're never going to come up with its solution. We have to be able to think of a problem as it being presented to us so that we could come up with a solution. And I felt that this was, it spoke to me personally, because this is exactly, I think, why I ended up creating this platform. Take a listen. If you're going to point out problems, be ready with solutions or ideas for solutions, because it's easy to just, you know, go out there or or start in this field and say, all these things are wrong, or none of these things are working, instead of providing solutions for that. This next clip is from Marcelo Sedeno, president of the Medical Interpreter Network of Georgia, and he is talking about vicarious trauma in the interpreting profession and what could potentially happen when we as interpreters don't know how to channel or release some of the trauma that is experienced during encounters. Take a listen. Interpreters feel bad if they're they're interpreting and then let's say the story that you're interpreting for has impacted you so much, but you don't want to cry because you don't want people to think, oh my gosh, he's such a bad interpreter, he's showing his emotions. And so instead, we develop this unhealthy habit to just shove it in and just ignore what's going on and sort of detach from it. But it's still in our memory, and it, it eventually will come back and haunt us. It kind of goes hand in hand with what Catherine Allen, president of Interpret America, was talking about on episode 18 regarding the voice of the interpreter in encounters or the lack thereof. Check it out. And I, I just think, I don't know if that's everyone's challenge, but I do know that I think interpreters struggle with trying to find that pride in what they're doing, but our, our voices are so muted. Like we're not allowed to have our own voice in what we actually do when we're doing it. And so then when you walk out that door and it's like, that was a train wreck or, oh my God, how can this be happening? Where do we take that? And it took me a long time to balance those two things out. This next clip belongs to Mr. Andrew Morris, a translator, educator, writer, and coach. And he's just talking about combining all of our experiences, you know, to help them collide with each other and bring out the best of us in terms of what we're able to deliver. And it it was just such a remarkable conversation. So if you're interested in listening and if you've not yet or maybe revisited, he's on episode 12. Take a listen. 
I've always thought from the beginning that every translator should take a good look at all the elements that make them up, not just the translation part, but their passions, their interests, their gifts, their talents, their backstory. And if you can craft something out of that, which suits you perfectly, then you're onto a winner. Here's Michelle Gallagher, Managing Director and Interpreter Trainer at Cross-Cultural Communications on what makes a good interpreter. And what I think really makes a good interpreter is a curiosity, a curiosity to explore different things, to build out your glossaries, to be a rabid reader of many different things, and to build out your knowledge in many different areas, to have conversations with many different people, to learn. And speaking about what makes a good interpreter, here's Carlos Diaz de Leon, a conference interpreter, on what an ethical interpreter should do when faced with a request that is beyond their skill set. So I think it goes both ways. First, yes, look at the material, see if you can train for it, see if you can prepare for it, see what you can do. But if it's definitely something that is beyond your scope, you have to have the ethics to turn it down. Here's Virginia Valencia, a federally certified court interpreter and founder of Interpret Train, on the importance of having a professional community of supporters. Whenever I'm feeling like, oh my God, this is bigger than me, I don't know if I can do this, somebody will show up. And speaking about a sense of community, here's Natalia Abarca, project specialist with Orange County Department of Education in California, on what it feels like to work with a community of interpreters. Take a listen. It's one of the most rewarding things that I have ever done in my life is putting people together and sharing their experiences and walking together with them in the same journey. Here's Vanessa Phillips-Costa, Director of Multicultural Affairs and Patient Services at CHA, talking about the value of community. But there's a value, Mireya, in belonging. Belonging to a community, belonging to an institution allows you to understand the barriers of the community and help patients navigate the institution in a way that a vendor simply cannot do. Here's Louise Fiorelli talking about the importance of joining a network of interpreters in order to enhance one's abilities or just be a part of a community of interpreters and what that does for you both personally and professionally. Take a listen. Starting out, I think it is very, very useful to be a member of a professional organization. The knowledge that you can uh, gain from your more experienced colleagues is invaluable. Uh, The networking that you're able to do there is uh, beyond valuable. In this next clip, Zenab shares with us what she did when she came across a problem and not being able to find that community or that niche of support and what she did in order to provide a solution. Let's listen in. Where I am now, I created those groups that can be support to me and others in my language. I think I filled the gap. I encouraged others who have seniority to help, you know, the younger generation or the beginners. This next clip comes from a really fun episode, episode 14, where I interviewed a team of interpreters, Ernest Nino Murcia and Vanessa Marcano Kelly, and they talk about strategic volunteering 
and technology. Let's listen in. I think strategic volunteering, especially when you're starting out, if you get the opportunity to work in something that you haven't done a lot, but that you feel you are ready for, that's the caveat. You have to feel like you're ready for it. Take it, even if it doesn't pay or even if it doesn't pay what you would want initially. But that, in, that experience and that networking is going to be really valuable for you. Yeah, that's that's really good. I, I would also um, echo that that and be curious about technology and see what creative ways you can use technology, whether it's microphones, mixers, online programs, um, messaging apps and, and different things. But they weren't the only ones recommending technology in our profession. Rafa Lombardino on episode 16 talks about technology and translation. Rafa is a Portuguese translator, an author, an instructor, and a fellow podcaster. Let's take a peek. But I can say use technology. So keep yourself uh, updated on what's going on and how it can help you from, you know, better email and marketing online to um, better productivity with CAD tools and uh, machine translation if you're into uh, an industry that allows you to do that. People just have to stop fighting technology and really embrace it and see how they can become more productive as translators and interpreters to just further their career. That's definitely one thing they have to really constantly remember. Here's Maria Hernandez Castellanos on what interpreters can do in order to improve their craft. Just having the ability to be patient, learn, and always inform, you know, inform ourselves and, and just, it, just being aware and researching and asking colleagues. I had the privilege of having Bill Glasser, founder and president of Language World Services located in Northern California. And here's him talking about his experience with the interpreting profession and what it did for him. Interpreting saved my life. I won't lie to you. It was, you know, the thing that has never stopped giving for 20 years. This next clip is Kleber Palma, the New York City Department of Education's Director of Translation and Interpreting Services on whose responsibility it is to ensure language access. Take a listen. The work of language access and the change in the culture falls on everybody who is trying to engage folks from diverse communities. I reached out to Hugo Miranda, a language specialist in gaming localization, after I came across a little article entitled, The World Needs More Bilingual Heroes. And I thought it was such a catchy little title that I felt inclined to invite him on the show. And we had such a great conversation. There is such a great story behind this headline. And the fact that he's out in the community now empowering a younger generation to use what he calls their bilingual superpowers, I definitely encourage you to go back to episode five and listen in to the episode if you've not already. Here's what he's got to say behind that. So now I want to empower those who are younger in elementary school, in intermediate school, and tell them that not to be shy if you speak another language. That actually empowers you. You are a hero if you are bilingual. And speaking about empowering a new generation, 
our last interview of 2020 was Giovanna Carriero Contreras, CEO and co-founder of Chesco Linguistic Services out in Colorado. And here's what she has to say regarding mentorship. Take a listen. When I tell people, open yourself to be mentored, open yourself to mentor others, but that mentorship cannot be, I think, that mentorship has to rely on a solid foundation. And that foundation for us is training and education, because we still go through the phase of a profession that is uh, trying to professionalize itself. In December 2019, I had this wild thought, what if I launch a podcast? In February 2020, Brand the Interpreter was born. And although I had no idea what I was doing, seriously, I wanted to learn. And all because there was a vision. I had this vision of creating a platform where language professionals could share their stories and other language professionals could go to and listen to free content for interpreters by interpreters. This journey was made possible thanks to the amazing guests, yes, but also thanks to you, the listener. I hope to see you next year for season two, because this story, this story has only just begun. So take care. Until then. <laughs>